Well, welcome to ABF. So glad you're here. I want to just take a second just before you start and just to say thank you. We did this pastor and staff appreciation thing this month and lots of nice thank you cards and baked goods. But I wanted to take a second on behalf of the the staff to say thank, but thanks, but also to confess something. So somebody dropped off bread in Adrian's office, baked bread, and Adrian and I took that home, enjoyed the loaf, and as we're at home eating and indulging in this bread, we noticed that it said to the ABF staff. So this is kind of an apology uh, to the rest of the team uh, confessions. I, d- I just feel much better getting that, getting that out there. And so John, I owe you a loaf of bread. Um, anyway, so glad, glad you're here. We're continuing in the book of Philippians. We're in chapter 2 this morning. We've been working just gradually verse by verse, starting this morning in uh, verse 19. I wouldn't say that we're an overly uh, political uh, church. In fact, we're by in design, by intention, we try not to utilize this platform to do anything political. But I did want to uh, point in your bulletin, just as you're grabbing and pulling out your notes, you'll see a yellow sheet there that uh, John helped piece together some really helpful questions to wrestle through as you're going into this upcoming uh, uh, decision in the next couple of weeks, and uh, just praying that you'd be just well prayed up for that and well educated and uh, really seeking the Lord on uh, the upcoming vote. I can't say that I can remember, I guess I've been alive for, what would that be, 10 elections, uh, but can't say I ever remember one like this. I've been in many conversations where people say to me, me this, and maybe you've heard this exact same statement, I don't really like either, finish the sentence, sentence either candidate, either, either option, are these really the best options of all of the candidates or potential people out there? Anybody had that conversation? I'm not, I'm not endorsing that. I'm just pointing out just a, a statement of what I, I've heard fairly common. And I've seen in the different ad campaigns that are out there is both candidate is kind of presenting the idea that the other person is not fit to be president. Have you heard that term before? Not fit to be president. I was thinking about that and not necessarily making a stance one direction or another on that, but what I've noticed, the observation from a pastoral perspective in that, is that I think that there's a reason for that, that the masses recognize that a person's character does matter, especially in politics. The masses recognize or are beginning to recognize, hey, it's, it's not just an experience, their experience, their accomplishments, their stance on issues or promises made. Without character, it's hard to believe in somebody and to get behind somebody, correct? Are we, are we on the same page with this the idea? So, so character matters in politics, and that's about as far as I'm going to go with that. You guys are like, please stop talking about politics. I'm uh, enough hearing about politics. I'm going to turn the shift because I'd also suggest that God, the one thing that matters to Him is also character. Not our list of accomplishments, resume of of things we've done, the skill sets that we have, the stances we've taken. He would say, no, I'm more concerned who you're becoming, the character of the man or the woman. Are they on a consistent basis taking steps and strides to becoming more and more like Jesus Christ? Or are they giving all of the externals 
more attention than they should be given? Or are they focusing on the healthy pieces, the inner part of the man or woman? This chapter 2 of Philippians has really focused primarily on that, the inner self. Are we becoming more and more like Jesus Christ? And the specific thing that it's focused on, if you guys have been here for the last couple of weeks, has been really are we becoming so that we elevate others over ourselves? Are we living selflessly, if you will? Are we moving towards that? That's the part of the inner man or the character. And we've seen the perfect example. John talked about this in Jesus Christ modeling that, even to, to death on a miserable cross. It was perfectly selfless. And then last week, Paul demonstrated it. Do you remember his expression? He said, I'm willing that I'd be poured out as a drink offering for the spiritual growth of others. So two representations of selfless living. In this last section in the chapter under the same topic of selfless living is two other random down-to-earth examples of selfless living. I remember when I first read this section, I was like, whoa, where are we going with this? But at first glance, it seems like some mundane overview of travel plans. But the more you unpack it, you're just like, wait a second. These are two ordinary guys that are living this out in the trenches of a Roman Empire, living out a life of character, living out a life of elevating others above yourself. I think there are folks that we can emulate, but let me pray before we dive into the text. God, thanks for this word from you specifically and another picture that it's not always the, the upfront, the, the main character in the story. It's not always the Paul. It's not always the Jesus example. Sometimes you do a work behind the scenes and kind of the, the, the guys that are in the, the trenches, the mundane, the ordinary, the guys that are serving behind the scenes. God, I, I pray that you teach us from this model, these two men, Timothy and Paphroditus, God, that they would be guys that, that we actually emulate as men of, of character, men that think selflessly. Pray that you'd speak to us and do the work that only you can do. God, I pray that you would... Uh, just to clear our minds of distraction and allow us to focus on what you want to say to us through this text this morning. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, so starting in chapter uh, 2 and verse 19, we're going to look at really just four different characteristics of these two different guys. The, the first one I'll point out is the word available. Let me read it to you. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. So this first one is maybe a little less obvious than some of the, the next ones, but I want to tell you about Timothy, who he was. If you've been around church world, you'd be familiar a little bit with Timothy, but he's a guy that was from the town of Lystra, which would be present-day Turkey. He was the son of a mixed marriage. We don't know who his Greek father was, but he was told that his Jewish mom Eunice and grandmother Lois taught him scripture growing up. You can read about that in Acts and First and Second Timothy. But the thing that was noted here is that he was someone that, that Paul had led to Christ initially, but then became a close companion of Paul's for about the previous 10 years. So this is like his inner circle. This is the tightest that you could possibly find of somebody in Paul's life. So a really close friend. In fact, when he was writing to the Corinthian church, 
He told the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17, he said, hey, make sure that as you're living out this gospel thing, that you're emulating me, which was kind of a unique thing for Paul to say. But he said that, and he said, how you can do that is I'm sending you Timothy, and the words where he says, who is sent to remind you of my ways. In other words, when you watch Timothy, you're like, oh, I remember Paul was like that. I remember that like they were so interconnected, they were so similar that when you saw one, you kind of got a glimpse of the other. What I noticed, though, in this section is the fact that Paul kind of has Timothy. And really, every time I read about Timothy, I typically am pointed to something that says, Paul sent him there. Paul sent him here. You start to think when you read the, the, these different accounts of Timothy, you're like, Timothy, do you have any life of your own do you have any life or do you does does paul say jump and you ask how high and timothy's like nope don't really have a life of my own when he says jump yep i say how high you, you see you see this is a picture of some like when you read this look at it doesn't sound like it's even considering what timothy i hope in the lord jesus to send timothy to you soon was well, he asking Timothy, do you want to go visit him soon? Do you, or will you maybe consider this? Would that be a possibility? What if Timothy had other plans? No, no because why? Timothy was available. Timothy was available. He had put his desires and his wants on the shelf for the greater cause because he knew what Paul was about. was like, man, I want to be about the exact same thing proclaiming Jesus Christ. So he said, I'm making myself, tell me where to go, I'm going. Tell me when to go, I'm going then. He made himself available, and I would suggest in the character of a man, one of the things that's probably one of the greatest gifts to a church is somebody that comes and says, I'm available. I'm available. Here I am. What, what do you need? What do you need? How, how can I help? How can I serve? What can I do? Man, that is a a priceless gift in the kingdom, a priceless gift in the gift kingdom. I, I remember some years back, I was a young adults pastor back in Chicago, and uh, we had a, a room about about this size that we gathered in, and and it was a shared space, so a bunch of different groups would kind of use the same same room to gather in. And usually, when I'd show up, and this is the non glamorous side of the pastor role, the room would just be a just a just chaos, like mess, trash. John, do you remember rooms like this? And you're like, hey, there's nobody else setting this up. I guess that leaves me. And, and so that was kind of a weekly occurrence, in fact. But the thing that was so awesome, there's this guy, his name was Michael Butler. He was a, uh, a college-age guy, kind of chose not to do the school thing, was a security guard, and, and it wasn't a, a bad thing. But just, just one of the things that he, he was known for is he was always the first to come and the last to leave. Anytime I showed up ready to set up all these chairs and get ready for all this stuff, where, oh, there's Michael. Hey, Michael, you, you want to help with this? Yeah, I'm here. Whatever you need, whatever you need. He was that guy. I'll tell you what, when we're talking about somebody of character, this, I believe, is the picture of that through Timothy. He made himself available. And the cool thing about that is that doesn't take any kind of resume or any kind of background. Anybody can say, hey, I'm here and available to serve. What a beautiful picture of character. Something to emulate. Second one, 
See if it jumps out of the text. Actually, it'll probably jump on the screen first. It says, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Notice that Paul first emphasizes, as he continues to talk about Timothy, that he has nobody else like him. What's in the text there? What do we see? What is it that sets him apart? I, th- I was thinking about the, I end up with, uh, in the role that I am at quite a few different conferences, attending and uh, seeing different speakers. And one of the things that I've noticed with different preachers or pastors or conferences or get-togethers or large things is there's always that token guy that goes up first and says all kinds of nice things about the guy about to preach. Have you guys noticed this in church world or conferences? And I, I was thinking about that. I was like, we were just at a, a conference a couple of weeks ago, and there's that guy that goes up and gives the, the introduction, and, and usually it's talking about some of their great accomplishments, some of the books they've written, how many thousands attend their church, and the, the building projects that they've executed, the different things like that. And I'll be honest with you, Sometimes I'm sitting there and listening to all that, and I'm thinking to my, myself, I'm like, yeah, but does their wife like them? <laughs> this is the dark side of me, right? <laughs> do, do their kids ever see them? You know, like, a, like the, d- does their staff, if they had to turn in anonymous uh, feedback, does their staff like them? Do they have a genuine concern for others? What if... The things that we choose, even in church world, to elevate is the wrong criteria. What if this is the piece that actually matters? For I have no one else like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. What if that's what we're graded on? What if that's the piece of the character that actually matters? How much do you care about people? Why, how, why, why, would you, why would that be such a big deal? Why is that emphasized? Why does that set him apart? I'll tell you why it sets him apart. Because it doesn't come naturally. Naturally, I'm kind of selfish. Anybody else? Okay, here, here's a, a little group interaction. Why don't you take a second and tell the person next to you, I'm naturally pretty selfish. Go ahead, tell the person next to you that. <laughs> See, see, this this is good. This is good. I, I feel, I feel like some. Okay, okay, okay. This is, we got it. We got it. I, I, I think I, I think this. I think there was some healing that just happened in the room right now. But but the truth is, that is accurate. Left to my own devices, man. A, apart from the Holy Spirit's work inside of me, man, I'm pretty pretty self-consumed. I want to do what I want. I want to do what I like. And that's probably why it broke Paul's heart to say that about everyone else. He says, he says, I have no one like him, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. That's the typical. That's the, that, that's the norm. And I don't know what's the root of that statement. I'm imagining Paul being in prison that he'd experienced some degree of desertion and abandonment. Do you think that's maybe an, an accurate piece there? But either way, that's his synopsis of what happens naturally because the truth is a caring heart is cultivated, not guaranteed. A caring heart is cultivated, 
not guaranteed. In other words, a heart that is genuinely concerned about somebody else doesn't just happen naturally. It comes from walking and talking and interacting with Jesus Christ. It comes from interacting, from rubbing shoulders with him. It's not something that's natural. It takes a break from the norm. It comes when we reject the biggest lie in the universe. That lie is, I'm the center of it. I'm the center of it. That's when we can actually move that direction, where we generally care about others rather than our own concerns. And before we're too quick to throw rocks at these folks, don't we lean the same direction? This is a character quality that walking with Christ can produce in us. So two things so far. The first one, available. The second one, caring. Maybe not some of the ones that you would think would have been on the list. See if we can identify the next one in verse 22. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. Again, when I feel like sending him, he'll go. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Pretty cool. He's continuing to kind of celebrate in this, this arena Timothy's faithfulness. He's seen that on a number of different fronts, a number of different occasions. I like that he describes it. He says, describes his proven worth. The idea of proven worth is that something is confirmed by testing it over and over and over again. And it keeps doing, it keeps doing the exact same thing. Regardless of how it's tested, it keeps coming with the same results. And that's the picture that he has of Timothy. And you really see two pieces of what he's elevating there. One, you see the piece of, he describes him how as a son with a father. He describes him with that kind of camaraderie. I don't know if you grew up with a, a bond between your, your father or not. One of the things that I grew up enjoying with my dad is we actually love to body surf. Like, love being in the ocean, love catching waves, never really did the surfing thing. That takes coordination. But you can throw yourself in front of a wave and just get consumed by it, where that thing's just rocking you towards the shore. You come up gasping for air, but had the best time. I looked down the, the row this, uh, of a wave this past summer in Ocean City on our family vacation. It was fun seeing my, my son, Chase, about to jump for the wave, my dad about to jump for the wave, me about to jump for... There's like this camaraderie, this bond. I don't know what it is uh, for you. Maybe it is or maybe it's not, but here's what the, the point is. First aspect of him proving faithful, just proven worth, would have been that bond, but that bond here wasn't catching waves. What that bond was is he has served with me in what? The gospel. In the gospel, it says. He's partnered with me consistently over and over and over with one main objective is getting the, the good news of Jesus Christ out to the world around him. That's the bond that they had. That's what he was faithful in serving with that as the intention. I was thinking about that. What an awesome thing God designed for that. Like we all have, we, we've heard this in church before. We all have this call to exp expand the, the gospel to the world around us, to extend it. It's even on the sign as you're walking in. But the intention was that we weren't designed to do that alone. 
supposed to be working together in this, cheering each other on, supporting each other. I picture Sunday mornings as a time where we come together and we're just like, oh man, how did it go this week in trying to uh, get the gospel out? How did it go this week? How can we spur each other on to doing even better next week? I think that's who Timothy was to Paul. He's just a faithful servant to the gospel. We weren't intended to do this all by ourselves. For a number of years, I, I took different uh, university teams out and uh, on a college campuses and looking to engage with students on uh, kind of public college campuses, just talking about Jesus Christ. And our approach was we'd go up to folks and we'd say, hey, we're just here from a church in the area. We're trying to be a blessing on this campus and asking them one simple question. Is there anything we can be praying for you about? And that uh, led, to, led to all kinds of unique conversations, and God ended up using that in some just pretty powerful ways. But I remember every single month that we did that, trying to rally students to come be a part of this outreach team was not the easiest endeavor. Like, it's not something that comes natural. I remember one time sitting in the college campus, and we met in the kind of the central uh, space there. I remember sitting and kind of clock checking, I'm like, uh, I know a couple of my usuals, they were going to be away, and uh, man, I don't know if anybody's going to show up. Remember five minutes after the hour they're supposed to be there? Nobody. 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. I remember just sitting there and thinking, so am I going to go out and talk to people by myself? Guess what I did? I went back and got in my car. I I drove home. I drove home after that. Because why? God designed us to do this together. And we, we, we need that when we're going out to a world that's pushing and rejecting that idea. We need each other in order to proclaim Jesus Christ. That's why he's saying he's praising him. He's been my faithful. He's faithfully served in the gospel. And I love that this picture of him. First off, you see the display of him being a Timothy being a servant. But if you think about it, Paul, even in his willingness to send Timothy is being his servant himself. Think about that for a second. Paul's stuck in prison right now. That's why he says in there, he says, I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. In other words, Paul was waiting to find out if he could send him because he was completely dependent on Timothy for his just practical needs. Food, clothing. It wasn't a prison system where you had three meals and a nice pillow. Like, that's not how it worked. It was a prison system that you needed somebody committed to you. But think about this for a second. Paul, he's saying, soon as I get the opportunity, soon as I'm released from prison and I can be self-sufficient again, I'm sending him to serve you guys. I'm sending him to serve you guys. How awesome is that? What a a picture of selflessness and a a servant. So a servant is talking about a servant, and both of them are an invitation for us to model after. See this last one. So we've seen the three different ideas. This last one's in verse 25, and we'll end with this. It links real close to the servant idea. It says, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God has mercy, had mercy on him, and not only on him, but, all, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, to you, 
that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. A lot there, but let me just uh, give a, a cliff note somewhere of that. We're introduced to a, the second character in this. So first one, Timothy. Second guy, kind of a fun name, Aphrodite. Uh, you can maybe uh, work on the pronunciation of that better than me, but you get the idea. Uh, the, the thing that we know about, uh, about him is really the only thing we know about him is what's actually said in this section of Scripture. So we know that he was sent to Paul to help him out while he's in prison from this little church in Philippi. He was sent there to help him out and provide for some of his needs. Likely that he was there once he got there to bring, bring resources. He's there and sticks around to help meet and ongoing. He's like, man, you only have Timothy here. I should better stick around and assist. So he does that. And I love that Paul recognizes this, that he uh, throws a compliment in his direction. He says, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. I thought that was pretty cool. Can you imagine having the Apostle Paul giving that description of you? You're a fellow soldier. In other words, you're in the thick of this with me. You're in the thick of this. And this wasn't somebody that threw compliments around very easily. Do you remember in the last verse there when he described the others? He says, they all seek their own interests. So he, he's fine with throwing people under the chariot, uh, but, 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 but wasn't quick to give compliments uh, unnecessarily. So here he's, he's, he's elevating him. And I was thinking about that. I was thinking about what do you think that guy was actually doing for him? I think it probably wasn't a real glamorous job. Probably bringing some bread when needed, maybe a couple ink supplies, maybe delivering a letter here and there, maybe grabbing a coat if he was too cold. I'm thinking that probably some pretty menial but consistent needed tasks. I was thinking about that. I was like, man, how much of church is that? How much of church is that? People carrying weekly kingdom responsibilities faithfully. People carrying weekly kingdom responsibilities faithfully. I think of so many people in our church that you can point to that are like, man, they're carrying that load regularly. They're carrying that load. It's, it's not glamorous. It's behind the scenes. But faithfulness is celebrated as a characteristic we're supposed to aspire to. Something we're supposed to... So my question to you is what weekly kingdom... I'm going to push a little bit. What weekly kingdom responsibilities are you carrying? What are you shouldering? What would go undone if you were away from this church for a while? Whew, that's a dangerous question to ask, right? We were in our, we were in our, just last week we had our membership class and we're talking with folks there in this kind of membership process and just clarifying expectations of folks in the, the class. And we're like, hey, one of the things that we expect of people that really have committed to this church and new people get a little bit of a pass for a season. Uh, but one of the things that's expected is that people actually roll up their sleeves and bring their gifts to the table and engage in ministry here at ABF. In case I haven't clarified that or talked about that enough, I apologize, but that's one of the expectations even of this church. And I believe if we got that piece right, whoo, the influence that this church could have, man, I'll tell you what, we're currently doing a lot, 
But if we, everybody rolled up their sleeves and said, you know what, I'm going to figure out what I can do. The ministries of this church would be staggering if everybody figured out what is the weekly kingdom responsibility. And you might say to me, you're, you're like, oh, but nobody's really called me about that or asked me about that. Here, here's, here's, a, here's a question that I ask. For the job that you have, did somebody call you about that? Did somebody pursue you? Or did you have to say, uh, did you have to pick up a phone a few times? Did you have to put together a resume? Did you have to put some work into it? So I would encourage all of us as a church community, and I, and I wouldn't be talking about it if I wasn't living that out myself. I'm living that out, and you're just like, yeah, you're, you're paid to, but there's lots of things that go behind the, the scenes in this church. Am I right, John? Uh, that aren't necessarily part of the job description. So here's my little healthy, hopefully, nudge in that direction. So that was one of the things that helped, uh, that he pointed out as something celebrated with them. And the cool thing about faithfulness is this. Anybody can do it. That's the cool thing about faithfulness. Anybody can be faithful. It doesn't take, again, like some of these other characteristics. It takes no background, no training, maybe some training. But really, the thing behind faithfulness is, man, everybody's called to it. Anybody can do it. I, uh, I, I love that I was uh, reading an article about a church, and at the entrance, it said that at the two entrances are, uh, of their do- the doorways coming in, it just said at the top of those doorways, servants enter here. I was like, huh, that's kind of a cool idea. This idea that we're all invited to faithfulness and there's not some kind of a huge thing we have to accomplish. In fact, I'm guessing that Paul, and Paul, what I love is he doesn't distinguish Timothy, who had been his faithful companion for so many years, doesn't elevate him any higher than Epaphroditus, who was just some jamoke that showed up to help for a few weeks. Here, that, that's the truth. In fact, when I read this text, I see that maybe Epaphroditus was a bit of a, a, a burden. Anybody else? Look at this for a second. You guys look. It says, Free has been longing for, uh, for you all and has been distressed. So basically, this dude's homesick. Paul's like, come on, this homesick guy. Uh, but then when he shows up, it says that he was ill unto death. Talk about the worst stress or somebody's sent to help you out, and they're like, oh, he shows up at my doorstep and he's about to die. You're like... That doesn't go well. So, and notice, notice Paul's words when he's just like, I'm eager to send them to you that I may be what? Less anxious. In other words, this guy's totally stressing Paul out. He's just like, hey, you can have your helper back, but make sure you re- that you celebrate and honor him. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into that. You can read it on your own and come to your own conclusions. But what I do recognize in the text there is this, is that I do recognize that even his, his kind of uh, quasi-helpful uh, efforts, it says this, he nearly died for the work of Christ. He nearly died for the work of Christ. Even if you show up and you're like, hey, I don't have the best to offer, I'm not that great, and I'm kind of a burden, uh, but still, he got to lump his efforts in, he got to lump all that in as being willing to die for the work of Christ. To me, I was like, man, that's encouraging. 
It's encouraging that God can use anybody. Our smallest efforts, our biggest efforts can be an awesome tribute towards moving towards the work of the gospel. Not one is elevated above the other. There's no hierarchy of service. We're just called to faithfully bring our gifts to the table. So look at these different characteristics, different character qualities. First one, available, caring, faithful, servants. Who does that remind you of? Who does that remind you of? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Available. Fully, was Jesus not fully available? Think about his life and the way he approached ministry. He kind of went where the day took him and was fully available, whether it was a, a, a person about to be stoned, whether it was a leper, whether it was a tax collector. He was just like, hey, I'm just approaching life. I'm available wherever ministry is needed. Think about that. Then what about the second one, the, second one the, the caring piece? Do you think anybody would ever say about Jesus Christ, you know, he didn't really care about people very much. Kind of self-centered, that guy. You know, kind of hard to be around. All he thought about was himself. himself. Like, no. Like, that, absolutely not. His entire life was about caring for people, caring for the less fortunate. Think about the expanse of his healing ministry, all for others. How about the, the, the servant piece? And I always have the picture of him with these, these uh, burly uh, disciples and him just washing their feet after a long day. You're like, are you kidding me? God of the universe serving and, and meeting that tangible need? You think about, how about faithfulness? How is, how is he with that? Man, ended up on a cross he could have taken himself off of at any moment. I would say this whole idea of emulating these guys. The only reason these characteristics are seen in these guys is because they're emulating Jesus Christ. And the invitation for us, the only hope of us living out lives of character is when our character begins to reflect Jesus Christ. Again, he's the ultimate example. And again, that we're desperate and needy for him to do that in us. We can't do this on our own. Anybody else read some of these descriptions? You're just like, I, I'm not really very good at that. I am kind of selfish, and I don't really like serving. I don't really care about people much. And like, well, guess what? When we step, take steps towards Jesus Christ, walking with him intimately, connected to the vine, all of a sudden you're just like, hey, I'm starting to pick up a little bit more of that characteristic. I'm starting, the Holy Spirit's starting to work that out in my life to get it more consistent with Jesus Christ. That's my prayer and hope for us. Not that we would just work harder at character, that we would draw closer to the character we're trying to emulate. Let me pray for us. God, thanks so much for this word this morning and these, this picture of these two faithful men. Two guys that otherwise, probably from an earthly standpoint, would have been kind of left off the pages of Scripture, but instead are celebrated and brought onto the pages of Scripture as men of character. Men that were faithfully serving, men that genuinely cared about others. God, I pray that you'd redefine, even in our mind, what actually makes somebody a person of character. Not about self, not about achievement, not about successes but about others. And I pray that you do a work in each one of us. I pray that you do a work in me. God, we desperately need that. We need your Holy Spirit to come in and, and clean house of some of that junk that's kind of residue from the old flesh. God, we ask and invite you to do that in us this morning. Thanks for your patience with us.
in the meantime. God, we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a good word for us this morning from this text, that call to be available, to be caring, to be faithful servants. I'll tell you what, that seems almost like you're like, ah, that's almost doable, right? Available? Yeah, I can, I can do that. Faithful? I can do that. Caring? Well, God needs to do that in me. Uh, the, 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 the servant piece? I can take some steps towards that. Let's do that this week. Amen? Have a wonderful week. God bless you.